Welcome to episode number 301 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. With me today is Lucy Parker. You might have heard me talk about some of her books, uh, maybe act like it once or several thousand times. She has written some of my new recent favorite contemporary romances. And she's just signed a new contract for new books in the same series, the London Celebrity Series. So, of course, I ask for all the details. I think I ask her to specifically start just reading me what she's written. Um, Because you know what? I have no chill. It's time I owned it. I also came equipped to this interview with questions from the Patreon community that supports the podcast. And, of course, their questions are terrific. We talk about her newest book, Making Out, which came out this week on the 28th of May. And we discuss how she develops characters, what her process is like, and the characters that she loves to write. Now, I do have a content warning. At around 22 minutes in, we discuss abusive relationships, gaslighting, and emotionally manipulative romantic partners, all of which are part of the discussion of making up. The duration is about 30 seconds, so you can skip over it if you need to. I want you to feel safe. We also talk about mental health and anxiety, toxic masculinity, and we answer some important questions, such as, who are the characters in her new book? What is her favorite type of plot? Hint, she's written it once, and it's part of her next book in her London Celebrity series, and that book sounds like all of my catnip, too. Who is and is not a heroine of her upcoming novels? What actors or characters influenced her so far? And of course, I ask what she's reading. I am really excited to have this interview, and I hope that you enjoy it. This episode is being brought to you by Whiskey Sharp Torn by Lauren Dane. Bo Petty has been searching his whole life. Searching for a place that fills the empty spaces in him, searching for a way to tame the restlessness, and searching for answers to the secret he's never stopped trying to solve. What he wasn't searching for was a woman to claim all of him, but when Cora Silvera walks back into his life, he is ready to search out all the ways that he can make her his. Cora has spent her life as the family nurturer taking care of others, but now she's ready to pass that job on to someone else. It's time to make some changes and live for herself. It's in that moment that her former teenage crush reappears and the draw and the heat of their instant connection is like nothing either of them has experienced. He craves being around her. She accepts him, dark corners and all. Bo thinks Cora's had enough drama in her life, and he wants to protect her from the secrets of his past, even if it means holding back the last pieces of himself. But Cora is no pushover, and she means to claim all of those pieces. Because sometimes what you find isn't what you were searching for. Whiskey Sharp Torn by Lauren Dane is on sale June 26th and available for pre-order wherever books are sold. I have compliments. I love this part. To Jennifer B. Someone is climbing up a difficult task right now, and the thought of you and your courage and thoughtfulness is inspiring them to keep going. And to Catherine C., You are the human equivalent of an upgrade to first class, a restorative nap, perfect temperatures, and giddy, unexpected smiles. Would you like a compliment of your very own? Would you be interested in throwing a whole entire dollar at this podcast this month? Please have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. As I said in the intro, the podcast Patreon community often helps me develop interview questions for upcoming guests. And if that is something that you think you might be interested in, please have a look. Patreon.com slash smartbitches is the place where I take recommendation requests and I ask for help with questions. And when you make a monthly pledge, you're helping the show and you're helping me commission transcripts for older episodes. 
And you're helping me with my excellent upgraded equipment that allows me to do live shows. And thank you to everyone, by the way, who said how much they enjoyed last week's live show. It was a lot of fun. I also want to thank some of the Patreon folks personally. So to Jennifer, Women of Color in Romance, Artemis, Sarah, Anna, and Ruth, thank you so much for being part of the Patreon community. Are there other ways to support the podcast? No, I haven't had it set to music, but you can always sing along. Leave a review wherever or however you listen. Tell a friend. Subscribe listening each week. All of these things are deeply important and meaningful. So thank you, thank you, thank you for hanging out with me. Now I have one more thing to tell you about very quickly. So back in May, I told you about Studio Bluetooth headphones. I had an email from the company that makes them asking if I wanted to try a pair of their headphones. And that email arrived the very same day that my old pair completely crapped out on me. Now I walk two dogs on leashes. And so having my phone with a cabled pair of headsets plus two leashes and a poop bag is really more than I can handle. So I use my Bluetooth headset regularly. So they sent me a pair called the Tray, and I have been using them daily for about a month now for working out, for walking the dogs, and for listening to audiobooks while I cook. And since it's been a month, I figured I would give you an update on the Studio Tray. They're freaking awesome. The battery life is great. The sound is terrific. I can hear both the mellifluous tone of my audiobook narrator and the cars and trucks around me so I don't get smushed. And I mentioned when I talked about them the first time that they come with three sizes of earpiece and the smallest size is perfect for me. They don't itch, they don't make my ears hurt, but there's also a feature that I didn't realize that I would appreciate so much. So like most Bluetooth headphones, there's an audio control button or bar on the right side with, you know, start, stop, volume up, volume down. But there's also a blank one on the other side, which means that the cord weight is balanced. They don't weigh much already, but I didn't realize how much the imbalance of my old pair bugged me until I realized I hadn't had to fuss with the cord when I last worked out on the treadmill. The minimal weight is already balanced because of this extra little piece. It's so cool. I really like these, and I didn't think that much about my Bluetooth headset beforehand. Now I'm constantly noticing little things I like about these. And just like last month, I have a coupon code for you. If you are thinking, I would like a pair of these, I think you would like them. You can get your own set of Studio Bluetooth headphones and get 15% off your purchase by using coupon code SBTB. I will have a link in the show notes if you would like to check out all the options. But again, coupon code SBTB gets you 15% off and they have free worldwide shipping. Woohoo! So thank you to Studio for the demo pair and for the coupon code. And if you have questions, you know where to find me. You can ask me all the things. I probably have my headphones in. I'll be able to tell you. I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who the music is and where you can buy it. And of course, I will link to all of the books that we talk about and some of the links that I discuss And at the end, I will have a truly terrible joke. This one is extra bad. It's so bad that my son just stared at me like, wow. And he loves bad jokes. I will also have a preview of what is coming up on the website next week, should you be curious. And I imagine that you are because, hey, we do rad stuff. But that is the end of this intro, which means that it is now time for us to do an interview with Lucy Parker. Woohoo! On with the podcast. Um, hi, I'm Lucy Parker. Um, I write contemporary romance, um, currently mostly set in the West End of London. I'm so glad that you agreed to do this interview. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Very honoured to be asked. Okay, so I have all these questions, and then I'm writing the questions, and then you announce you have a new series. You have a yes. new contract. You're writing more books. Yes, I'm so excited. 
Congratulations. Can you Thank tell you. me about the new books? Like, could you maybe start reading them to me? <laughs> um, yeah, I can, I can sort of, I can talk a bit about um, number four, which is next. Uh, number five is, is sort of to be confirmed. Um, it's potentially number five will potentially be um, the story of one of the secondary characters from Pretty Face, uh, Freddie. Um, she was one of the other actresses in the play, um, quite an exuberant character. Uh-huh. And, yeah, so I definitely, I do want to give her a book, so so she will probably be number five. Um, and, of course, because she's such a, a bubbly character, she will probably have to be paired with a fairly grumpy hero, so... I'm in favor of all of these decisions that you're making. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I know I have no say in this, but I am so excited. She was one of my favorite characters. Yeah, she seems to have been been quite popular with, with quite a lot of people. Um, and she was she was fun. You know, although I did, I have had a few um, messages from people who, who thought she was going to be paired with one of the other secondary characters in Pretty Face, um, her, the, the character who was sort of playing her on stage husband, but... He was um, he was already married and pretty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, not going to work. Wasn't really thinking of him for for hero status. Yeah. Are you writing book four now? Yes, I am. Um, Are you having fun? I am. I am actually. Um, it's it's a definite. I think it's maybe the most definite rom com of the series so far. Um, sort of hopefully, you know, with more of an emphasis on the the romantic romantic part um yeah number four is is a another fake relationship plot yes yes <laughs> my favorite to write <laughs> um com- combined with them combined with marriage of convenience really um sort of accidental marriage um which is it's not quite as as simple as like ross and rachel would have you believe on friends once you actually <laughs> look into how that would actually happen but basically there's a lot of booze involved and in yeah in the um the hero and heroine uh um they play a fictional detective pair um on tv however that there, there is a it is also a west end theater book um again but and it'll be linked in a slightly different way to the theater than the previous books have been um, and they're sort of this, this, they're not, they don't play a couple, um, but the fans would like to see the characters become a couple and this fairly obsessive kind of shipping of their characters and of the actors themselves. Um, but sort of unlike, for instance, the characters in an act like it, um, who had to be more or less blackmailed into their relationship, this one is kind of very much driven by the hero and heroine, um, they sort of masters it, at manipulating kind of the press they get, and but it, you know it goes a bit further than they intended. So they're basically like the West End theater version of Scully and Mulder, where everyone wanted them to be together. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, oh, that yeah. just sounds delightful. <laughs> they they take it a wee bit too far, and it, it kind of gets a bit out of their control really yeah and they but they're both kind of um I kind of wanted to write characters who are they're, they're quite similar it's definitely not an opposites attract um romance uh these are kind of kindred spirits but it turns out to be a, a bit of an issue because they're so alike 
they're not amoral characters, but kind of a bit sort of like if you'd seen the Disney movie Tangled, like Flynn Rider movie. Yeah, he has a slightly, um, you know, flexible approach to getting out he wants and kind of a, you know, as long as you're not hurting anybody, it's, you can twist the truth and stuff a bit, but then that makes it quite difficult for them to actually trust each other. And they have to kind of form quite a, a solid alliance, the two of them. I enjoy the plots um, where the hero and heroine kind of have to work together against sort of an external conflict rather than between them. But obviously when they can recognise in each other, um, there's probably the same kind of weaknesses and strengths. Yeah, it's it becomes quite difficult. And of course, they're going to deal with the external pressure of fans wanting them together and then their own public images and their private lives. One of the things that I love about your books, and I am a complete unabashed fan of your writing, like my inner 13-year-old is losing her mind right now, trying to keep her under control. Um, One of the things that I love is the way in which you negotiate private lives and public lives, that all of the characters in your books have a public-facing persona that they have to work at and keep up, but it's not their entire personality. It's just part of their personality and they have to deal with their private lives and their private who they are when they're not on stage and that's that's hard when you're a character who's with another character who is also on stage with you yes um yes I think like particularly particularly that was the case um certainly in act like it um I know I've only read it like four times maybe five (laughs) plus listen to it so yeah you're totally right about your book because I've read it several times and can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that kind of balance between between the personal and the private um, and also the fact that, you know, I guess from kind of looking on the outside, people are obviously only seeing what what they're putting forward. They're only seeing the character and the kind of famous part, but then behind that they are having a very kind of normal life as well. Um, yeah, and that conflict and I think uh, particularly in the theatre when it's such a, a kind of heavy workload, you know, and they're performing the same role every night kind of for months on end. And I think that kind of crossover where you sort of become that character in a way and, and the, you know, trying to maintain your kind of own identity as well as, as the character that you're playing. Um, yeah, like I think I think kind of Lainey comments on, comments on that and act like it that sort of, you know, her own life can can start to feel like she's performing herself as well and that sort of crossover between where she, you know, she, even she, like her own identity, so my starts to feel like a character as well. Yes. I like that a lot about a lot of the internal and external struggles. And even with Pretty Face, Lily has to deal with the public's understanding of her and her understanding of herself and her own potential, which very few people seem to share. Yes, yes, and with with um, Pretty Face, it was I felt she had to be a very strong character. Um, yes, she is a confident character. You know, she knows what she wants and she knows where she wants to go. And I think that was so important in her case that she is is very clear on that because externally and everyone around her is if kind of a force against that really nobody nobody believes in her so she kind of does believe in herself yes and she knows what she's capable of yes and and isn't isn't really that shy about with the new book that's coming out making up yes 
you have a heroine who is sort of rebuilding herself after an abusive relationship and a, and a partner who sort of gradually reduced her and wore away at her confidence so that she's not her former self. And you've paired her with someone who knew her before and is working with her now. And they don't really get along very well. No, they don't get along at all. It's Um, wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) They hate each other. It's great. (laughs) It's just so much more fun. I mean, I love, I love reading um, like friends to lovers plots uh, I do I, I have so much respect for the people who can can do it well because in a way I do think it's it's harder I feel like when you're starting with the enemies to lovers but you know it's just so fun you just straight off just have that kind of push and pull dynamic between them um, but yes the um, making up uh, is about Trix who is the best friend of the heroine from Pretty Face um, and she is a circus circus artist, um, but she yes, she's very different uh, from the heroines of the first two books. She is in a in a much different place when her book opens. Uh, she's not she's not as confident. Um, she has been through this emotionally abusive relationship with an ex boyfriend that has significantly knocked her confidence. And um, I I kind of feel like underneath that maybe she is almost the most confident of the heroines you know she's quite she's quite feisty naturally um and I think her kind of ex-boyfriend maybe recognized that in her and you know tried to kind of sort of beat that down and so yeah so it opens and she uh, very quickly um in making up is is promoted to a a more leading role in the production that she's in um which before kind of these things happened to her would have been you know no problem like she was very kind of driven um but she's it makes her kind of very nervous yeah and she's paired with a hero who is a makeup artist and it sounds like this this production is sort of like a little bit like almost like a vegas show yeah it's Cirque du Soleil that's where my brain was trying to go it's very Cirque du Soleil-esque Yes, it does definitely has uh, Cirque Soleil aspects, um, sort of a kind of burlesque and musical, a kind of a mashup of of things. Yeah, so it's a, it is a switch up from kind of the sort of high drama, um, sort of serious drama of, of the first two productions. Um, this is kind of yeah, sort of like full on, sort of you know fun musical, acrobatic yeah, sexy swinging, like actually yeah. swinging, not sexually swinging, just sexy and then on a swing. <laughs> know that would liven things up wouldn't it that would be a very <laughs> different <Yeah>. production <laughs> yeah <laughs> trapeze swinging yes yes exactly so what yeah. about the hero what is what is the conflict that he has to work through in making up he's in a sort of more more confident place than she is um like I think it it's the book is more her emotional journey in a way than his um I think she needs his kind of solid presence in the book once they do start to to work past their issues he's a massive source of support for her mm-hmm. um but he he is going through um career conflict himself um he is a makeup artist and he when the book uh, begins he is he has taken a slight reputation hit um in terms of he was working on a a movie and the uh, celebrity a-list actor that he was doing the makeup for failed to disclose a fairly major cosmetic allergy and had a massive reaction and basically is you know it ended up in the tabloids and he got fired and 
and so he's trying to kind of work work back from that and reclaim um, his reputation, which he wants to do via a special effects artistry championship that he kind of needs to win. He also seems to be a very natural caretaker, like he wants to take care of people in little ways and major ways. Yes, yeah, he is. He kind of needs a big family almost. He, yeah, he wants he wants to take care of people. Um, he's he's fairly alone actually. They both mm-hmm. both he and the heroine are. Um, she she grew up in foster care, so she has no family. Um, and and he only has his sister, who is difficult. <laughs> Just a little. She's kind of horrible. Is she going to be a future yeah. heroine? Because I don't know if I can get over her horribleness. No, she's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, seriously, listen, you're really talented, but I'm not sure you can redeem her because she's an ass. Yeah, there is a line. <laughs> she's a, she's a, well, actually, no, if, you're, if, she, if she's British and you're a Kiwi, she would be an arse, right? Yeah. Okay. She's, she's a total arse. Like, all the yeah, R have, in the arse. I have seen some comments that um, I think I think some people are assuming that she is the next hero. And no, she's not. <laughs> I've been quite – actually, whenever, whenever kind of people um, – and ask about the next the next hero here on for some reason they it always seems to be like the really awful <laughs> and I'm thinking you know I, I didn't realize people <laughs> reading the book and thinking oh you know she's terrible I can't wait to watch her fall in love like no yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna get her I want to watch her have like you know revenge visited upon her for being awful not a romance <laughs> no exactly and a sort of and and also just without um without kind of giving anything away, um if she was the heroine of a future book, in some ways it would make for quite similar conflict. Yes, it me. would. So, yeah. So it's just, yeah no. <laughs> One of the things that I really like about making up is that Trix is not only repairing herself, but she also has to repair her relationship with Lily because her ex boyfriend isolated her from Lily and they're sort of patching up their friendship. And Lily was really hurt by, by Trix's actions, even though they were, I guess, coerced is the right word that, that she wasn't necessarily acting out of her true self. She was acting by what her boyfriend was manipulating her into doing. She's repairing her friendship with, with Lily as well. Was that hard to write? Yeah, it was. I, I thought it was quite, important um like it's been one of my favorite parts actually about pretty face and making up is the friendship between Trix and Lily because I think sometimes female friendships don't always get you know they're not as as included as much as I think they should be and and they're kind of so important like their relationship is you know it's almost as much my favorite as the romantic relationships in those books um and yes they are slightly on slightly tentative ground even when making up opens and making up is is some time after um the events of pretty face so obviously they were you know they had reconciled in in pretty face already um but tricks tricks carries a lot of guilt yes from that time and lily you know recognizes that that she wasn't kind of acting from from herself at that point um like lily was always very aware of of what was going on in that situation and I think that's probably quite difficult for Trix as well because, you know, she she feels like manipulated. Um, she feels that she should have, have seen what was going on in that relationship. And the fact that I think that people like Lily did yeah. um, is, is harder in a way. You know, they saw it right from the beginning. It makes her feel stupid. 
And yet every abusive relationship that I've read about or witnessed, um, abusers are really good at gaslighting you into believing that what they're doing is completely logical. That's how the abuse works. Yeah, it's, yes, exactly. Um, they're, you know, the people, the people who do it, they, you know, they know what they're doing. That's exactly what they're trying to do. They try to isolate um, the person that they're with, mm-hmm. you know, they'll break them down. They'll be subtle about it. I think if they were, if it was obvious, you know, it wouldn't kind of happen to the same extent. So yeah, I agree. Yeah. So when you write your books, do you start with characters or do you start with conflict or do you start with plot? Like what is your entry point to your different stories? Are they different or do you kind of start in the same place? I think I start with characters. I, I, I find it, um, characters, yeah, come, come to me a lot easier. Um, I do find the initial plotting very difficult, actually. I find it the most difficult part of the whole process. Um, I'm kind of not one of these, the people who are, you know, did they say they've got like 20 ideas to write at once? I'm so jealous <laughs> of that. <laughs> and I see it all the time, to- you know, I'll be sitting on Twitter and people are like, oh, which idea to write first? And I'm just like, oh, great. <laughs> I need to like sit near these people at a conference and like, you know, try to absorb some of the inspiration. I think I do find that that quite difficult. So it'll usually, I think, start from the character. Um, obviously it's, it's been a bit different with, with making up because this is the first, it is a sequel, I guess. Um, it's still a standalone book. It is, you know, continuing characters, whereas uh, pretty face after act like it, the characters in act like it do appear in pretty face, but it's, um, not vice versa, so it was more of a of a standalone. Act like it was was slightly different. Act like it did begin from a plot idea. It was kind of like the one and only time I've ever had that kind of lightning bolt inspiration. Um, <laughs> you go stand outside yeah. when it's. I know it rains a lot in New Zealand. Do you go stand outside and be like, "Listen, I'm I'm totally available <laughs> anytime." Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I was with Act Like It. I was. Um, I think I was watching um, a TV show and the actors on it who were playing a couple and I knew they had been a couple in real life and I think they had recently broken up in the media and I remember thinking, oh, my God, that would be so awkward. And it just kind of started from there. Um, Look about it. And then I was like, yeah, and I was uh, kind of more interested in theatre anyway than TV. Um, And I was like, oh, it would be so much more awkward if it was theatre. Yes. (laughs) Because, like, you know, it's not a continuing storyline. You know, if you're with that person in the play, you're with that person in the play for, like, you know, six, eight months. So Over and over and over. Exactly. Multiple times (laughs) a day. With that, like, it it was, um, yeah, kind of began from that, um, then kind of got the heroine and then got Richard, the hero, like, quite quickly after that. With that, like, I think actually initially I was thinking, um, oh, maybe like the ex boyfriend would be the hero and it'd be like a reconciliation thing. And then I was like, no, you know, yeah. <laughs> it'll be so much more interesting if, if it was another person in the play and maybe he's awful and, you know, everyone hates him. And yeah, that would be more exciting. Yes, I, I agree very much with all of those decisions. Yeah. Richard <laughs> is one of my favorite characters. His appearance in pretty face where he gives Lily advice and says, remember that the people who have paid to be in the theater are already on your side. And that's who you're doing this job for. That was like life changing advice for just me as a reader. Richard is easily my, one of my favorite characters. He's so great. Yeah. Yeah, He seems to be, I think the most, the most memorable. So I have a podcast Patreon 
And one of the things I get to do is tell the people who have supported the podcast who I'm interviewing. So I mentioned I was interviewing you and people were extremely excited. There was a lot of caps lock and I have some questions from my Patreon folks. And I like this one from Leanne because it's almost identical to one of the questions I wrote down. She asked, I've always wondered about the research process for Act Like It. How did you get inside the world of London theater? And my question as I wrote it down was, What's with you in theater? How do you know so much about it? What's, are you time traveling? Do you actually teleport to London? What is happening here? Her question is much better. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like I've I've kind of always always loved theater, um, and I was were fortunate to go to a I went to a university that had um, a very kind of good theater department um, where the, the kind of theater students would put on plays um, every day basically for practice so you could kind of go along at lunchtime and and they were kind of very um, uh, enthusiastic about about people getting involved kind of backstage and kind of with the production and for quite um, for quite a while in my kind of undergraduate I was double majoring um, with with one of the majors being like classical literature and drama so there's quite quite a lot of crossover there just a bit um yeah yeah which was which was great um sometimes slightly awkward because of the sort of plays that the plays that the classics department in particular would kind of put on like I still have haunting memories <laughs> of the production of um I think it was Lysistrata oh, which yeah oh. Um, which if people haven't seen it, it's uh, I think it's the Peloponnesian War and basically the premise of that play is that the women withhold sex from the men to try to get them to stop the war because they're just over it. <laughs> um, but traditionally the costuming for that play is like, I think even back then it was played up for comedic effect. <laughs> I'm to think of a way to say it on a podcast. You know, basically the kind of male performers or exaggerated phallic costumes. You say pain, it's <laughs> and, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so which would have been fine except for that particular production. It was our professors that were um playing those roles and yeah, Oof. it was just it was very awkward. It's fine at the nighttime, kind of the, the I remember the nighttime um performances tended to be quite boozy anyway, and even the performers were usually <laughs> Half drunk, but yeah, the going to the matinee when you have to go back to class afterwards. Yeah, yeah that's slightly that's forbid. rough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but also with with kind of at like it particularly, I am quite uh, fortunate that I have a friend who is at quite a high level um, in professional theatre, um, and so I, I talk to her and she she reads the books, um, and you know she'll tell me like. Obviously, I don't use the <laughs> exact gossip that she tells me, but um, I've, it's just yeah, it's just invaluable the kind of the things she talks about, and she'll she'll particularly kind of talk about um, like the runs of the, the plays are so intensive and kind of maintaining uh, your own kind of personal life and a social life, it, you know, it becomes it can become very difficult because obviously they are performing you know, every night often. I remember, like, asking her with, with Act Like It. Um, uh, there's a, a female character in Act Like It, uh, one of the performers in one of the other plays in the book, who is not a nice person. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's awful as well. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I asked, you know, my friend, uh, is she 
very awful like is this unrealistic and she was like no it's not (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) she's like oh she's found it she's like oh you know there's more definitely more laneys in in the theater world than there are sadies um but they're there so (laughs) that's a relief to hear but I'm also sure that in the real in the real world like the, the gossip and the true stories would probably indicate that Sadie was pretty tame compared to what people get away with yeah, my friend was like, "No, there are there are people, you know, who would make her look look not so bad." Actually, she more disliked um, the heroine's ex boyfriend and and it like it. Um, she was very disappointed that he stayed like all right. At the end. <laughs> she she's not really a romance reader, but she um when she reads fiction, she she mostly reads like thrillers and and murder mysteries. So you know, her I remember when she read it like it like her first main criticism was you know just not many like not enough bodies. <laughs> I was like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't really. <laughs> not enough people are dead in your book. Yeah. And she's like, oh, the ex-boyfriend. Um, she's like, oh, he's, yeah. Um, I, like I kind of don't want to spoil it again, but basically there is an event in that, like, yes. that she considered the, she considered a hugely lost opportunity basically to get rid of the ex-boyfriend. <laughs> really missed your chance there. You could have just killed him and then I would have had a dead body and it would have been great. <laughs> exactly. I was like, well, uh, you know, it would have altered the ending slightly. Yeah, you know, there would have been some, Ending on a slightly different It would have been a totally different emotional journey for like everybody. Yeah, I think the um yeah, the the ending scenes would have would have changed. I a mean, act like it was already very much about grief. Like one yes. of the things that I really liked about it is the fact that Lainey's relationship with her ex was clearly very influenced by her grief for the family member that she lost and no one really talks about it outright, but you kind of get the sense that Richard is like, Oh, Oh, that's why you were with him. You were grieving. Yeah. And, and I think maybe the, the kind of the breakup of her previous relationship has not, the breakup itself has not affected Lainey huge, you know, hugely. Like she's, she's opens it like it, um, in quite a, a strong place like she is she's still like you know she's not suffering the way that Trax is for instance and making up from that relationship you know she's still kind of very self self-confident and I think in a way the kind of uh family kind of grief you know it's just so much worse than than that breakup was as yeah. well like you know that's her kind of her grief and and by comparison what kind of what happened with the ex you know it's just it, it's not important. Yeah, that just that just happened. It wasn't as difficult, but not having the distraction from the process of her actual grief made it harder. Yeah, uh, that grief, yeah, does kind of underlie all the kind of dynamics through her family. You know, she's got a very like strong family, I think, particularly her mother. Um, and the you know, they are kind of getting on, but in like, it's, they don't, you know, talk about it all the time. But it's, you know, it's always there, I think. Yeah. And, and I like that it's very subtle in the way in which the, the way in which the characters deal with it. It's not like they're having a conversation about grief, but grief informs everything. So you would have yeah. often at the end, it would have been a whole other book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> slightly. Anna asked me if I would ask you. What led you to place your books in London when you live in New Zealand? I know that New Zealand 
is utterly hideous. It is a terrible looking place that no one wants to visit. No major movies have ever been set there because it is just so heinously fugly. Um, So I understand you don't want to set any books there because it's like the ugliest place in the universe. But are you planning to set any books in New Zealand or are you still thinking London is where you love to write? Um, No, I definitely, I definitely do want to uh, set some more in New Zealand. Um, My, my kind of first book um, that I self-published, um, artistic license, is is set in New Zealand. Yes. Um, it's kind of very different from the um, the other the other books um, and setting and tone and, and characters and everything. I think um, I do also really um, enjoy setting the books in London because, like, I love London so much. Um, and uh, my like my father's my father's side of the family is English, and and I still have have family kind of over there and. Um, my dad, you know, my dad brought me up on, on kind of BBC comedies at, you know, age five kind of thing. I think I, I kind of grew up sort of with a lot of kind of British culture and, and literature. And, and I think that has kind of, um, informed like the way I write too. So it feels like quite a good fit for me, but yeah, I definitely do want to set, um, more books in New Zealand. Um, they would be probably not the kind of celebrity um type plots because it's just it's a very different sort of celebrity culture more kind of laid laid back in in some ways like I don't want to um you know generalize too much but I think um like in terms of uh, the kind of New Zealand attitude towards maybe more so like local celebrities is quite different um we don't definitely don't have like the same paparazzi type culture here and everyone's pretty pretty laid back yeah, for the I mean, most part, as much as you can be when I mean, it's expected of you. The the kind of general like like attitude I think to and to like big things as well is quite like laid back. Um, I mean, as a person who's you know had problems with anxiety and stuff, I'm not saying we're all just you know go with the flow about everything like every right. person. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so. People, it, it's sort of the the kind of Kiwi stereotype, I guess, that people don't react in a kind of massively dramatic way. <laughs> One thing I've I've thought about a lot is how difficult it must be to be a person in New Zealand or in Australia who has anxiety when the cultural expectation is no worries. You get this pressure to yeah. not worry. Like, okay, listen, uh, chemically and mentally, I cannot help it. So stop telling me not to worry because I'm going to worry. It's how I roll. Yeah. I think, and I think more so for men too, I think, um, I think that's a, a problem uh, beyond this country, but like uh, New Zealand has a massive mental health crisis um, at the moment and probably for a long time. Um, and I believe it it is particularly bad uh, with men like in the rural sector, that kind of, um, the kind of masculinity idea, yeah. I think is, yeah, it really, they don't feel that they can, can admit to having problems and needing help and yeah huge problem i'm sorry to hear that we have a few problems here so i can relate um yeah galena wanted to know about the plays inside your books how do you come up with the plays inside your books and how often do you get to go to the theater new zealand has a has a very strong theater culture of its own um, and I do go as much as much as possible. There are the plays inside the books. Um, I think that's probably my 
history nerd. <laughs> um, the first, the first two particularly, actually, was it? I think it might have been. No, it was the Pretty Face play. Yeah, it was the, Tudor. Um, uh, Elizabeth. Yes, the Tudor play. Um, that was actually strongly influenced by uh, my own um, history at uh, history degree. We had a, a class in that um, that time period, and. We had some problems with um, a professor actually, and the class ended up being like well behind in in the curriculum. And they brought in this new professor, and I remember he was kind of horrified when he realised how like how far behind the syllabus we were. And he kind of used these um, kind of unique kind of teaching approaches. And at one point, he he brought in um, live actors to perform uh, kind of scenes from from that time period. And yeah, it was just kind of fixed in my mind and so that was that was where I wanted to go with with the play for um pretty face and also that that kind of time period I think is is quite fascinating because it's at this time in history when you have these three really strong yeah. women and I thought that, that's it's you know it's a really great background for that book which kind of is about a strong woman oh so, so do you ever think about writing the play itself <laughs> uh, <laughs> Or did I just like strike um, fear deep into your heart and you want to go hide now? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's coming into that um, like writing historical romance thing as well, which I actually kind of always, I don't know, I, I think I always thought I would because I always did want to to write a book and because I primarily read romance, I think I probably didn't even think about it. I just assumed it would be a romance, but kind of right kind of through my teens, I was mostly reading historical romance. So if I thought about it, I probably thought, I would go there and, you know, actually get some use out of wow. <laughs> the degree as well. Um, but, yeah, at the moment I prefer the contemporary, actually, like in terms of writing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't blame you. Um, I don't want to say it's because I'm, like, worried about, you know, fact-checking <laughs> fact and getting it wrong. But, you know. I understand. <laughs> I understand. Um, yeah. Caroline wants to know if any of your characters, um, particularly the hero from Act Like It, are in fact based on any real life actors. <laughs> I want, I'm wondering if she's thinking of um, Richard. Uh, the, the cover heavily hinted that uh, that similarity. Look, I instinctively want to say no. Of course, because, because I, I kind of don't um, like when I'm writing the characters. I don't sort of have a, a full kind of mental image of what they look like. I sort of just kind of composite sort of ideas kind of more like their personality really right um but then I was like well obviously though in Pretty Face um the hero in Pretty Face was uh strongly based visually on um Gregory Peck um and the heroine in that is also slightly um Marilyn Monroe-esque I was so, thinking uh, that yeah in that case d- definitely um and with like with Richard from Act Like It, um, he was not um, initially based on Richard Armitage, but I've had it. I've seen it like so often, and it just it works for me. Yeah, it works for me too. <laughs> Even I, think, I totally think that myself now. Like that's what I imagine. So okay, totally yes. works for me. Yeah, I'm down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the and the guy on the front actually, in hindsight, does look quite a lot. He like, does. So that works out well. What did you think when you saw your covers? They are wonderful covers. Do you like them? Oh, they're amazing. I love the covers. Um, yeah, so good. Uh, I think maybe particularly making up. Oh, I love that um, cover. 
Yeah, I think it's my favourite. Just the, the colours and everything. I was like just, yeah, stoked with the covers. So you mentioned this a few minutes ago, um, but you didn't really get very much into it. What led you into writing romance? You've said you've always been a romance reader. What led you into writing it? I always wanted to, you know, quite like a lot of people, I always wanted to write a book. Um, and I was kind of reading reading romance from, I mean, quite young. Yeah. Like it's, it's kind of hard to like draw the line really because even a lot of of books for like quite young children like I remember you know the babysitters club and sweet belly high in there even they're quite influenced with the kind of romantic subplots so you kind of you get into it oh at quite early oh yes oh very yeah. much so and then I, and I had um a family friend kind of introduced me um to the uh Georgette um higher or higher or higher books yeah um quite early as well um and you know obviously pride pride and prejudice I think I actually I think I might have read pride and prejudice the book after the miniseries came out and I was they were doing it in installments and I was too impatient and yeah kind of sort of got into it after that and um got into kind of reading romance proper I'm pretty sure I got a free like Harlequin book with a magazine yeah at an age I probably shouldn't have had it because it was I think it was one of like the sexy line, which actually back then were actually quite um, racy. Yeah, <laughs> you thought they were, but yeah. then you read something that was really racy, and we're like, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, back then I was, you know, but it, it took quite a long time to actually like have a go at, at writing a full novel. It is actually, I mean, it is quite daunting. Like in some ways, I didn't think I would be able to. Um, I I got into writing fan fiction in my teens. Um, which I think is such a good thing to do, like if you are interested in writing. Oh, I so agree. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's your kind of often the first experience of of getting your work in front of other people and and getting feedback, and it's just such a kind of community environment to do it in. Like it's just like I just have nothing but kind of good things to say really about the fan fiction communities. Like I still have, have friends that I meet through that. Um, and it's just such good, like, practice. I oh, guess, yeah. And you're writing for the yeah. purpose of writing. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's just fun. Like, it's just completely about the writing. And the fan fiction that I was writing was always, like, um, romance. Yeah. Um, yeah, romance plots. Uh, but, like, so I kind of used to sort of stick with mostly shorter, like, one-shots. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so, like, the prospect of, of writing – um, like a full novel, yeah, like I've, yeah. <laughs> really daunting. Like I, I wasn't sure I'd be able to. I think it's it's one of those things too. Like often, if there is something like you really want to do, it is sort of easy to put it off. And like there is that kind of like fear of if you have wanted to do something for a long time, what if I do it and it's you know it's not any good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was um, artistic license was the first kind of attempted a full-length novel, which kind of came about because I was doing um, a post-grad thesis at the time. And basically I was I was so frustrated, <laughs> just about, like ready to chuck the laptop out the wall. <laughs> at the wall. Um, and, yeah, and I was like, mm, well, I'm kind of procrastinating a lot reading romance. <laughs> so I might as well, you know, actually at least be writing something and I'm going to try writing um a book and then it was sort of spurred on by I think it was one of the years that Harlequin was having there um so you think you can write 
um, contest. So I kind of wrote it for that. Um, and like didn't really get anywhere, but it was like a really good experience anyway. And I kind of came came out of that and was feeling like good momentum yeah. with the writing and kind of got inspired for Act Like It and just straight away, like the next month, wrote Act Like It. Wow. That's, yeah. that's really amazing. Yeah, Act Like It was just kind of um, high speed t- train, really. Like it just. It just went. Like I, wish, I wish they were all like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Out on the page, yeah, it, and it happened quite quite fast after that. I think I wrote it like it in um, maybe I think it was October, and kind of like sent it around some of the digital publishers after that. And I think it kind of signed it about February, so it happened quite quickly. Wow, that's amazing! Yeah, I was, I was very fortunate. Yeah, can I ask what fandoms you wrote in in fanfic? Would you be willing to say? Yeah, mostly Harry Potter. Oh, well, you have good taste. Yeah, I think I started um, with the Tamara Pierce um, books, mm-hmm. yeah, her immortal series. Um, but then, yeah, mostly moved into Harry Potter. Wow. And I still read it. Some are so good. They are. Yeah, I'm, I think it's such a shame that if some of the some of the fanfic writers aren't writing original fiction, I just think it's such a shame because like, some of them are amazing. And, you know, I mean, there's some of them that are like – 300,000 words long like it oh yes very impressive (laughs) dialogue is such a big part of your writing and your characters have very distinctive voices even in the text conversations that you've write you've written for um elena's blog which i love so much what are you what are your tools for developing your dialogue do you hear your characters in your head or do you listen to actors speaking? Like, how is it that you develop your dialogue? I find dialogue both the easiest and the hardest um, part of the writing. Like, it it does kind of, like, I don't want to say it just comes, like I just walk around, like, <laughs> you know, bantering with everyone. <laughs> but, like, in a, in a way it kind of, it, it is the part that kind of just, just comes, but also, it's how I kind of gauge really how how the book is going in terms of the writing. Like if I'm having trouble with the dialogue isn't coming, then really like the book is not is not working. Mm-hmm. Um, and like once I get into it though, like I'll just be you know I'm often just like walking around and like the conversations will just sort of come into my head really, and I'll just like write them down um, in a notebook and. Yeah, like the the dialogue, I think is is just so important. Like it's kind of how I sort of do a lot of the characterization. I think even it's how I do some of like the settings. Like my books are quite dialogue heavy. Mm-hmm. Like I'm so so in awe of um, writers like like Laura Florand, for instance. Um, like the way she writes, like her settings, mm-hmm. um, like so so like lyrically and builds it up kind of like through her kind of descriptions mm-hmm. uh, where I kind of do that, I think, try to do that kind of more through the dialogue mm-hmm. um, and kind of bring, try to kind of bring the characters to life through that. Like they do, I do kind of hear them in my mm-hmm. head. I don't usually like say them out loud. I did once. I was, I think it was, it wasn't during a sex scene, but it was kind of building up to that and I was having trouble with the dialogue and I'm like I was going over and I was thinking particularly with the the kind of male dialogue I will sometimes read that 
silently now that I've learned my lesson. But <laughs> just think if, if this is something like a man particularly, you know, would actually say. Um, and I, I remember I, was, I, just, I did read one out and it was phrased, it was unfortunately phrased as a question. Oh, no. And I read it out and I didn't realise that um, a family member was who was visiting that day was standing behind oh, me. No. <laughs> and answered no, me. Like, <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, it was this kind of frozen moment. So I kind of ended up both feeling like completely mortified <laughs> and also she, but she kind of just totally took it in her stride and wasn't even surprised I was asking this incredibly personal <laughs> question. <laughs> and so I ended up with information I didn't really oh, want. <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so now it's, it's like now it's I, I keep it silent I now <laughs> but yeah no I just I find it and I think that the kind of dialogue it plays into the kind of the play aspect as well like I find it so interesting how dialogue also can be interpreted in in very different ways and that can um like affect how how it's mm-hmm. read like I think that that comes through in in the audiobooks for instance yes. yeah I find it a bit cringy to sit down like listen to the whole audiobook when it's your own but I, I do find it like really interesting when you listen to someone else reading your words for instance um and sometimes you know just a different inflection on one word even can completely change the whole meaning of the sentence mm-hmm. usually it's like for the better in, in the audiobooks I think they they tend to make it make it funnier mm-hmm. but um yeah like it, it can just the way the way it can be interpreted differently and I think that that can play out like in the theatre too, you know, like no players, no performance for players kind of ever the same, like productions um, in a character can be played completely differently by two different actors. Mm-hmm. Very true. So my last question is always, do you have any books that you're reading that you would like to tell people about? Um, I have recently been reading uh, Kate Claiborne's Luck of the Draw, which, yeah, which I loved. Um, she's one of kind of my favourite new authors I just think she's amazing like uh, sometimes you know you read writing and it's so good that it's it's like it's almost intimidating but it's kind of more inspiring like really I'm like I read her books and I think you know it's just try to absorb the talent from it like what I kind of particularly love about about that book and just about her writing in general is I think she writes very human Mm -hmm. characters the same way I kind of feel about Carla Kelly's um books they just they just seem like actual people and you know she kind of lets them have have weaknesses like you know obviously characters always have have strengths and weaknesses but I think you know her her kind of heroes in particularly um you know just little incidents like the the hero in luck of the draw um he's kind of a bit more reserved and he has to uh, go to a party like thrown by the heroine's friends when he doesn't know them that well and he's going with another guy who's more outgoing and he's kind of envious of the way the other guy can just walk in and like be really confident and and he you know obviously has sort of some like social anxiety there and and I kind of feel like you don't always see things like that with heroes and particularly like I sometimes feel like heroes are kind of more superhuman than heroines yes they're expected Um, to be sometimes yeah you know I quite like it actually like when they kind of have more more relatable you know like I want the hero to be a relatable human being as well as as the hero yeah me too 
Um, and I've also been reading, um, rereading in some cases, um, uh, Lauren Willig's Pink Carnation oh, that's a series. Good series. Uh, yeah, and I just I was just reading. Um, uh, is it Mischief of the yes. Mistletoe? Which is yeah, my like I think my favorite uh, one. Turnip. I mean, start with exactly <laughs> to start with, you know, pulling off a hero named Turnip. Like <laughs> it's impressive, but I just I just love that book so much because of the um, you know, just making characters who would normally be the sidekick, um, making them the hero yes. heroine. Like I yeah, I love that. And Turnip's a wee bit like um, he reminds me a bit of. Freddy from yes Hagen. he's very Freddy like yeah. isn't he yeah very. yeah when I wish there was more actually <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it, it's beyond like the kind of beta hero it's, it's sort of it's almost its own thing really but yeah that brings us to the end of this episode. I want to thank Lucy Parker for hanging out with me and for answering my and many other people's nosy questions. If you want to find her online, and I think that you should, you can find her at her website at lucyparkerfiction.com and she's on Twitter at underscore Lucy Parker. When you go to her website, you might notice that there are some really adorable illustrations for the characters in her books. They are by Michelle Barron and you can find her at michellebarron.com. This episode is brought to you by Whiskey Sharp Torn by Lauren Dane. Bo Petty has been searching his whole life, searching for a place that fills all the empty spaces in him, searching for a way to tame the restlessness, searching for answers to the secret that he's never stopped trying to solve. What he wasn't searching for was a woman to claim all of him. But when Cora Silvera walks back into his life, He's ready to search out all the ways he can make her his. Cora has spent her life as the family nurturer taking care of others. But now she's ready to pass that job on to someone else. It's time to make some changes and live for herself. It's in that moment that her former teenage crush reappears and the draw and the heat of their instant connection is like nothing either of them has experienced. He craves being around her. She accepts him, dark corners and all. Bo thinks Cora's had enough drama in her life, and he wants to protect her from the secrets of his past, even if it means holding back the last pieces of himself. But Cora is no pushover, and she means to claim all those pieces, because sometimes what you find isn't what you are searching for. Whiskey Sharp Torn by Lauren Dane is on sale June 26th, and is available for pre-order wherever books are sold. We have a podcast Patreon. And the folks from the Patreon community helped me develop questions for this interview, so I want to thank them again because their questions were excellent. If you would like to help develop future interviews or you would like a personalized compliment of your very own, have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. When you make a monthly pledge, you are helping the show and you are helping me commission transcripts for older episodes. I also want to thank some of the Patreon folks personally. So to Callie, Holly, Yara, Elizabeth, Chinami, and Becky... Thank you very, very much for being part of the podcast community. Each week, we have original music, which is provided by Sassy Outwater, who you can find on Twitter, at Sassy Outwater, but I bet you knew that. This podcast features a song by Three Mile Stone. This song is called Snug in the Blanket. You can find out more about Three Mile Stone at their website, 3milestonemusic.com, or you can find this track on Amazon or on iTunes. 
And if you are in the market for a new pair of Bluetooth headphones, may I suggest you take a look at Studio. You can get 15% off any purchase with coupon code SBTB. They sent me a pair to try out and I really, really like them and notice things that I like about them more than I've ever noticed another pair of Bluetooth headphones in a good way. Usually I put them in, I take a walk, my ears feel weird and then I stop. These I wear comfortably for many hours. It's kind of amazing. So if you would like to check them out and you're thinking, I would like to have comfortable Bluetooth headphones because why shouldn't you? You deserve them. Go to Studio and you can use coupon code SBTB at checkout. Did you know that there is a website to go with the podcast? In fact, although this podcast has been around for quite a long time, uh, the website has been around for even longer. And if you go to the website, smartbitchestrashybooks.com, we're hanging out there doing lots of cool things. What kind of things? Well, let me tell you. Today... June 1st is the first of the month, hence the number one in front of June, or after, depending on how you write the date. So we're talking about all the books we're excited for in June in Hide Your Wallet, one of the top five most expensive posts we do each month. And June 2nd, which would be the second day of June, in case date concepts are as difficult for you as they are for me, Redheaded Girl's Historical Kitchen will be all about butter and cheese, and Amanda is compiling a substantial list of recommendations for the 2018 Ripped Bodice Summer Reading Bingo Card. So if you've got your bingo card or you want your bingo card and you want some recommendations or you want to make some, come hang out. We also have next week some cover awe, which is when we look at covers and go, wow, nice job. We have reviews for new books and a recap from Elise of the newest episode of this season's Bachelorette. The recap, not the episode, may possibly involve crack and rum and also coke. Plus, we'll have Help a Bitch Out, books on sale, and more. So come on by and hang out with us. And now it's time. It's time for a bad joke. Are you ready for this terrible joke? I am really excited for this one. This is a joke that no matter how many times I tell it to myself, I laugh. Okay, you ready? It's time for serious voice. What do you do when you see a spaceman? Give up. What do you do when you see a spaceman? You park your car, man. (laughs) Oh, it's so bad. (laughs) You park your car, man. Dude, what's mine say? Okay. Yeah, so now that I've been really professional on behalf of Lucy Parker and everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. We hope you have a wonderful weekend, and we will see you back here next week.